Well, I have invited my good friend Dave Runyon to come and speak. He spoke here a couple years ago. Uh, Dave is the co-author of a book called The Art of Neighboring. That I know he's going to share a little bit about that, but Dave and I go way back. Um, a love for Jesus first and foremost, but then this game called baseball as well. <laughs> and uh, I'm a better Rockies fan than he is. I'm way a little better. more loyal, right? But we were, we, he was asking me. He came up and put his arm around me. He goes, seriously, man, how are you doing? How are you doing emotionally about this season? I said, not good, brother. No. Anyway, would you give Dave Runyon an awesome welcome this morning? He's... Dave's got a ministry called City Unite where they're bringing churches and, and community leaders together to, to serve this great purpose that we've all been called to. So thank you, Dave, for being here this morning. Thanks, buddy. So good to be here. I think I'm going to walk out here and be in the sun just so you know that, like, this isn't going to be very long, uh, what I'm getting ready to do. <laughs> so this is incredible just to see the way this church. I remember when this church was a thought, you know, when it was just like a dream or an idea. And to be sitting here and to be looking out amongst, this is like, it's really incredible what God's done. And so I hope, I know it's easy sometimes when you're in the middle of it, uh, it's hard to see the, the forest through the trees, but God's doing something really, really special here. And there's so few churches that are winning right now. By that, I mean that they're, they're growing and that, that, you know, they're fruitful in our community. And so this is a big, big deal. So, um, Scott, there's a lot of people praying for you personally and praying for all of you in this, this congregation. So I just want to take a few minutes to share. Scott asked me to share some of the things that we've learned uh, with this neighboring movement since we wrote the book and since I was here last. And I think one of the, the things that, that's most encouraging about listening to what God's doing here in Ovation is the, the fact that the gospel is being made tangible and it's being proclaimed. It's being demonstrated and proclaimed. And I think that if you look at church history, the, the, when the church is at its best, those two things are going on. There's a demonstration and a proclamation of the gospel. And so few, you know, oftentimes in history, that hadn't been the case. Oftentimes, sometimes it's been a time where it's only being kind of like demonstrated. There's all this great social justice work that's going on um, and that this other part is kind of being left on the ground. And then more recently, I think in church culture, um, in, especially kind of in the evangelical church movement, we've been like really good at proclaiming and the demonstration part has a lot of times been left off to the side. And so... I think a big part of what God's doing here and the success of what's going on here at this church is that you guys are doing both. And just hearing some of the, the ways that you guys are doing this has been, been incredible. And this is dear to my heart because how I got into this whole neighboring game, and I'll just remind a few of you, um, those of you that weren't here, is that I started to ask this question. If, if churches were gonna work together in a city, if the kingdom-minded people in a community were going to come together and stack hands and concentrate on something, we started, what, what's the smartest thing that we could do? And as I started to ask that question with some of my friends, we ended up in rooms with civic leaders, and one of them looked at us and said, if you want to do the thing that's going to impact our city the most, you'd figure out a way to start a neighboring movement. And when he said that, it was a pivotal moment in my life. Um, because I had to start to wrestle with this fact that I, I was a pastor. I was somebody, I made my living helping people live out the text. 
And yet as I drove home from that meeting that one day, I had this horrible realization that here I am as a pastor and I'm driving back into my own physical neighborhood and I realized I, was, I had filled my life up with all of these other things. I'd become so busy that I wasn't being intentional. I was hardly giving a, a thought to the people who lived right outside my front door. And that crisis began to change things for me. And I started to ask this question, how, how do you end up as a pastor who isn't intentional in his own neighbor? How do you, if Jesus boils the entire text down and says, hey, if you only do one thing, by the way, just love God with everything you have, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you only do one thing, do that. That's like over and over and over again. That's really clear throughout the scriptures. And yet I wasn't intentional in my own neighborhood. And I've come to learn that there's great, great things happen when the people of God draw a circle around the places where God has put them and then begin to work out from there. And one of the things that I've learned since I was here last is um, I've, been, I've, I've wrestled with this. And by the way, in our whole country, um, in, in our city, in the city of Westminster, um, we as Christians aren't known as the best neighbors in town. When the, when the civic leaders that we were just talking about look out across the face of our communities, they don't look across the face of our city and say, you know what, man, those Christians, they're the best neighbors. And I know this because I've talked with hundreds of them from literally over 500 different cities. I've talked with city leaders. I've never had one look at me and go, oh, Dave, guess what? In my city, it's like, it's not even close. The Christians are the best neighbors in town. Nobody's ever said that. So this whole crisis that I had is trying to figure out how you end up as a pastor who's not intentional in the neighborhood. Um, I realized that, that we, as a culture, as a group of Christians, need to actually think about that same question. How is it that we're, if, if Jesus says you only do one thing, how is it that we're not the best neighbors in town? And as I started to think about that, um, and as I've started to think about it over the course of the last year, it's dawned on me that um, the, the, the answer, I know I can tell you the secret of how we ended up here, okay? So here, here's how, you wanna know how we ended up as a bunch of Christians who aren't known for the best neighbors in town? We did the exact same thing that the, the attorney does when he tries to chat Jesus. The attorney comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Do you know what the next, the, the next sentence is about this guy? It's in verse 29, Luke 29. He says this, it says, and in order to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He goes to Jesus, he gets a really straightforward answer. He, gets the, 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 he hears it, he processes it. And this guy's first thought is, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this like love your neighbor thing? And then the way that he tries to get out of it is this, and catch this, he says, I wonder if I can define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits into the life that I'm already up to. In order to justify himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And when I read that line, it just jumped off the page at me and I said, oh no, that's, that's what I've done. I, I took this idea of the word neighbor and I just applied it to, what, what, to whatever fit most easily into my life as a pastor. And I was doing a lot of good things. I was sitting on the board of three different nonprofits. I was walking with people like you, helping them try to figure out their marriages and their life with their kids. I was doing a lot of really good neighboring and yet I had figured out a loophole. And, and by the way, when, whenever we talk about this, I think a lot of people start to think, they go, Dave, just so you know, like I actually spend more time at work than I do in my neighborhood. 
And so I'm actually going to neighbor there. Dave, I'm building relationships with the parents on my kid's soccer team. And so I'm actually neighboring. Or Dave, I, I went over to Mozambique to visit what Novation is up to and, and that's neighboring. And, and if, you, if you had that thought, I just want to put you at ease. You're 100% right. You're 100% right. But that in and of itself, it doesn't like I, so and I, that's how I live for most of my life. But then, and then I had this, like, I did this weird little, like, nifty mental gymnastics move. I thought about that type of neighboring, and then I kind of made it so that surely Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't talking about the people who live right across the street, like, who sleep 40 feet away from me. Like, I get out of that because I'm doing all this other good stuff, and I've jammed my life with all this other stuff, so I don't actually, that, that gets me out of my actual neighbor. You like that? You like how I, made, I got there there? Nobody here can like relate to that, right? <laughs> and so what some of my friends and I just learned is that when the people of God began to like take the second half of the great commandment literally and seriously, huge things start to happen. And, and then this neighboring thing, little, you, get, you get disproportionate results. You put in little things and, and, and like the fruit that comes out of it is, is really incredible. Sometimes, sometimes your neighbors actually don't wanna be your friend. I have neighbors that, I know it's like gonna be hard for, I have neighbors that don't wanna hang out with me. They just wanna like get into, like they're, they're really busy and they just get their garage door up and get inside and they get their garage door down. They detox from, the, from everything that happened to them to that day and then they wake up and go do it over again. And they don't have time to like actually engage with other people that live around them. Kind of like how I live for most of my life, by the way. And so um, as as the people of God begin to engage, as we begin to love where we live, you know, this is really, it's about a theology. All throughout the scripture, there's this deep, rich theology of place. And we've lost that for a lot of reasons. Our culture has become more and more transient because of technology and different things. And so we've lost a theology of place. And, and I'm learning that when Christians rediscover a theology of place, when they begin to love where they live, where they love, whether it's Westminster or Thornton or Arvada or wherever you live, and not just love where you live in that sense, but also begin to love where you live, to love the street you live on, really, really good things happen. And I'll share a text with you that, um, that's helped, that it just rooted me and centered me um, in this whole deal. It's found in Acts. I love this chapter. Um, Paul is, Paul walks in, has anybody, anybody here ever been to Athens, to been to the, the Acropolis in Athens? Nobody? Okay, well, let me just tell you, like, you, like when you read through this, the scripture, somebody has back there, just, or maybe you just felt sorry for me. So, yes, so, um, so go with me here. So, you know, when you go down there, there's this little bitty hill, it's called Mars Hill, and the scripture talks about, I thought it was like this mountain, it's this like really benign little hill, but in Acts 17, it says that Paul is sitting on top of this little, this little mound, and he's talking to all these people in Athens. And he's, he looks at him and he says, listen, today I'm walking out through the streets and I saw this idol to the unknown God. And it's interesting, Paul's posture here, he doesn't just like burn them to the ground, right? He doesn't just say, hey, you know, let's just throw all your idols in a pile and like burn. He actually uses their idol as an excuse to like talk to him about Jesus. He says, I'm gonna tell you about the God that you don't yet know. And he starts, he gives like one of the greatest sermons, all Acts 17 is the whole sermon. He just starts to talk about the character and the person of God. And, and catch this, this one part here of what he says, because um, this for me has really helped root me into my neighborhood in a whole new way. It says this, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. 
and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God, listen to this again. From one man he made, so God made every nation of men that they should have but the whole earth. He determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and would find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Here's what this text says. You don't live where you live for the reason you think you do. It's not because you always wanted to have four bedrooms up. It's not because of the curb appeal or the school day. It's not because you can't afford, you just like can't afford anything else and you can't get, wait to get out of this place. You live where you live because God has placed you there and he's placed the people around you there for a reason. And if you get this, if you let it sink in, it'll ruin you like it's ruined me. It'll change the way you drive in and out of your neighborhood. And so as we're sitting out here, literally in the middle of a neighborhood, I would like to like just suggest this and, and to have you ask this question. Is it possible that when Jesus gets asked to boil this entire thing down to one command, is it possible that Jesus has given us a really simple strategic way that if believers did it, it would change the world overnight. And that there's only one problem. We figured out a loophole around it. We took like the most important thing that Jesus ever said and we figured out a way to get out of it. And what would it look like if the people of God began to say, it's not okay. And we're actually, we're actually gonna go back and we're gonna do the, 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 the little things well. We're gonna actually go, what if Jesus meant what he said? And what if we actually did it? What if we actually became the best neighbors in town? What, what, if, what if someday when you ask the mayor of Westminster, hey, what do, you, what do you see when you look out across the face of our city in relation to the believers? He actually said, man, you know what? The Christians in our city are like the best neighbors in town. Wouldn't that be incredible? I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? And think about what would happen as a result of that. So in two days... On Tuesday, it's National Neighborhood Night Out. How many of you guys know that? Herb knows it. How many, how many others? Okay, National Neighborhood Night Out. Okay, so this is weird that we're not, how many of you have ever participated in a National Neighborhood Night Out? Okay, a few of you. So let me tell you what happens on my block. Okay, we do this, by the way, it's too late for this, but like Target gives you like $100 free to like just buy whatever you want. Um, party supplies, ice cream, whatever you want. And you simply just use this national neighborhood night out deal as an excuse to do what Jesus said to do. To actually like be a part of like good parties. Um, which by the way, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is a part of like the best parties in town. And so, when, and so I would just like to like throw out a really random thought. Um, what would it look like today if, if you went home we, we handed out our flyers yesterday because people in our neighborhood can't remember it like more than like three or four days at a time because we're all going so fast, so hard. So what would it look like today if you went home and just like made a little half sheet flyer and just said, hey, Tuesday's National Neighborhood Night Out Day and we're just gonna like throw some stuff on the grill and have people over, it's BYOB and we're gonna throw meat and bring a side. Um, and what would happen if only like one couple, show, you know, one, maybe one family shows up, that's a block party. Okay, well, we have, no, um, our block party, like we've been doing this a few years now. So like the city of Westminster, the, uh, they bring, the fire department brings the fire truck into our neighborhood. All the kids are hopping in there. Um, all of the cops come in. It's like, all, it's a bizarre, like all of, 
our whole neighbor, our, our whole block, our, all my neighbors, I wouldn't do this, are all like drinking beer with the cops, like hanging out, getting like tours of their car, getting to know what's going on. And it's, it is, it's incredible. And it's these little, so what happens at these things is you just get to know people a little bit more. You just get to know a little bit more about their story. Um, you take one small step with them. And then it eventually, you know, so we learn people's names. You, you, and you bump up against them at block parties. You see them out in the front yard, be able to talk to them. And then the end game is actually, you know, inviting people into your home so that you can get to know their story. So you can get to, to, to hear what has shaped them and then also to, to share your story. And so um, I, I just wanted this to be like a little refresher today of what this is. This is something that this church desires to be in the DNA. And we talk about all these different ways that we can make a difference and do missions all over the world. What, what I'm sure, like neighboring is like missional for everyone. Everyone, is, every single one of you guys has a neighbor, whether it's in an apartment, whether it's in a single family home, whether you're a student, whether you're a child, every single one of us can actually begin to take Jesus like words literally and seriously. And I would just invite you to do as an experiment. My wife and I did it as a one year experiment six years ago and it's still going and it's like crazy and messy and it's sacred and it's beautiful and it is, it's the best single discipline that our family has ever participated in and the way that it shaped us and the way it shaped some of the people around us has been, has been the real deal. So um, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna bring Herb up and um, just have him share uh, a couple words about his heart for, for our community. So Father, would you give us, uh, would you give us the courage to lean into mildly awkward moments? Um, God, would you just, just get over those little bitty fears and to just kind of step out, maybe just one step out of our comfort zone so that we can begin to live the kind of life that you want us to live. And God, I thank you for all the incredible stuff that's going on in this church, for all of the, the relationships, the, the neighboring that's going on at work, at, at relationships um, with, with kids on the soccer team, the stuff that's going on in Mozambique. I thank you for all of that, Father. That is, it, it's so encouraging to hear. I think for the, the way that this school and this church are pioneering a way and living in a model for other church school partnerships to, to be able to function, God. And God, in, in light of all of that, we just pray that, that we wouldn't like skip ahead of the people that are right in front of us, the, the people that are sitting right outside our front door. So God, I pray in advance, and I thank you for what you're, you've done through this church and what you're gonna do through this church. And God, I just pray that, that they would continue to, to both demonstrate and proclaim the good news. In your name.